Welcome to Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s, with yours truly, Glenn Robison. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more, on everything from Aeolian to Xenophone, and by everyone from Aronson to Zerky. On this week's show, we'll celebrate the birthdays of Peter Mendoza and Harry Snodgrass, fulfill a request make a racket, and get you in the mood for tonight's festivities. But first, I have a correction to make. Last week, I played Or What Have You by Erminie Calloway and gave credit to Howard Dietz and Arthur Schwartz. The song was from The Little Show, the first of 11 Broadway musicals featuring the songs of Dietz and Schwartz, and they wrote most of the music for the show. Most. Not all. And especially not Or What Have You. That was composed by Morris W. Hamilton with the words by Grace Henry. Grace Henry appeared in the chorus of the 1913 Broadway musical farce The Honeymoon Express. A 1926 New York Times article said that Miss Grace Henry was prominent in New York social life, and although she had been writing and directing society entertainments for several years, her contributions to Earl Carroll's vanities were her first to a Broadway production. The article went on to say that Miss Henry was a graduate of the Spence School. I was watching Jeopardy the other night, and to my surprise, one of the clues referred to the Spence School, the prestigious New York boarding school. My wife thought me crazy when I exclaimed, Grace Henry graduated from Spence. Hamilton and Henry, who were married, I'm not sure if they were at the time, also wrote several other songs for Broadway shows, although very few were recorded. One of their more popular songs was Twilight, but unfortunately my copy is not broadcast quality. So, in an effort to make amends for last week's slight, here's a nice copy of another recording of Or What Have You by Victor Arden and Phil Oman and their orchestra. What have you? 
Victor Arden and Phil Oman and their orchestra with Scrappy Lambert, credited on the label of Victor 22017 as Bert Lauren, with Or What Have You, composed by Morris W. Hamilton, with the words by Grace Henry. That recording is from May 28, 1929. Now, let's get on with tonight's show. In this very first segment of this very first show of July... Receiving his own segment for the very first time is Peter Mendoza, born in London, England on July 1, 1902. He was a self-taught musician and, despite having his left arm amputated at the elbow, invented a device which enabled him to play the piano. He was very patriotic and lied about his age to be able to serve on the ground in the Royal Air Force in World War I, and he also served in the Army in World War II, attaining the rank of captain. His songwriting career was brief, only about four years, peaking in 1932. In addition to popular songs, he also composed for the theater and radio, sometimes under the pseudonym Peter Venning, and his songs are heard in the soundtracks of a number of feature films in the 30s. In the late 1930s, he spent about five years in New York working for various music publishing houses, but returned to England at the start of the war. After the war, he gave up composing, pursued a career in the stock market, and died in 1969. Here are three from the pen of Peter Mendoza. Oh, shut up! Never do that again! mother's words, just be one of the early birds. Oh, Mr. Brown. <laughs> sang a chorus. What, me? I don't know the words. Don't you know any popular songs? Oh, yes, a few. Well, I'll sing anything all right. Go on, they all fit. Well, here goes, but it's your funeral. The Queen was in the parlour the night when love was born. That's right. Sitting in the dark, mad about the boy. Got a date with an angel underneath the arches. Let's see. put out the lights and go to sleep. I dare. Ooh, that kiss. When I found you, Charmaine, I can't give you anything but love. Right. <laughs> yes, we have no bananas. You are my heart's delight. You left me just a broken door.
good fellow, do you realize I'm trying to get some sleep up here? like a song fading away to leave me regretting just as the wind sighs through the trees just as the sands kissed by the seas I had your love and there's no forgetting I always tell the stars about you Without you, it seems Life can never mean the same again But I'm a fool, why should I sigh? Why break my heart when it's goodbye And you have gone forever Thank you. 
paradise of you, a fond caress. Yet all your scorn, Marie, of love is born, Marie. It is on you as another dress. Or should I vow I grow weary of your charms? Gone would be your proud, capriciousness. Once no Marie, but well I know Marie, within your heart, what you mean is yes. There you have three different songs by Peter Mendoza from three different bands and three different vocalists. We just heard Sam Costa with Jay Wilbur and his band with You Answer No, Marie, from Crown 278, October 23, 1936. Before that, Al Boley with the Roy Fox Band and Gone Forever from DECA 3029, June 10, 1932. And we started off with a fun record, Ray Noble and his orchestra with Ace Rowland and Max Kester providing the vocal on Don't Be Late in the Morning, written by Peter Mendoza and Arthur Leclerc. HMV 6358 was made in London on May 3, 1933. I'm Glenn Robison, and you and I are listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. Last week, July 1st, marked the birth in 1895 in Pawnee, Illinois, of Harry Manford Snodgrass to Henry E. Snodgrass and Martha Wall. I have no information about him until he married Louise and their son Harry Van Snodgrass was born in 1916. The elder Snodgrass was of slight build and referred to by friends as the little half-pint guy and in 1918 was working as a pianist at the Niagara Cafe in Peoria. In 1923, he was playing piano in a cabaret act in a small Missouri town when he got involved with a group of unsavory characters in a pool room. From the pool room, they went to a local Greek restaurant where they were sold a bottle of illicit liquor and quickly got drunk. One of the fellows had a gun, and when the proprietor refused to sell them a second bottle, they held up the restaurant. Harry made his way home, but was later arrested along with the others. At the time, the penalty for armed robbery in Missouri was ten years but because he was determined by the jury to be an unwitting accomplice, was sentenced to only three years in the Missouri State Penitentiary. Snodgrass told prison officials that he played piano and was therefore assigned to the prison band, a moderately large orchestra consisting of 28 felons convicted of crimes from embezzlement to murder. Every Monday night, they were escorted six blocks from the prison to the State House to play on the air over W.O.S., since WOS was licensed to the Missouri State Marketing Bureau, its studios were located in the dome of the Capitol Building in Jefferson City. 
The station could be heard in all 48 states and beyond, and Snodgrass became enormously popular. WOS announcer J.M. Witten gave him the nickname the King of the Ivories, and in addition to letters and telegrams, he was sent cigarettes, cookies, considerable sums of cash, and marriage proposals from fans. He accepted all but the proposals, since he was already married with an eight-year-old son at home, and on each and every broadcast he played the same song for his son, My Buddy. In time, Warden Sam Hill determined that radio had rehabilitated Snodgrass and convinced the governor to cut his sentence in half. His last broadcast was January 14, 1925, during which he thanked prison officials and promised them and the gathered crowd of over 1,000 he would go straight and give up drinking. He left prison two days later with 300,000 cigarettes, 3,000 pounds of candy, a car, a dozen suits and pairs of shoes, 50 shirts, a menagerie of live animals, and $3,500 in cash. Also waiting for his signature was a two-year vaudeville contract for him and WOS announcer J.M. Witten, who quit his job at the station to go on tour with Snodgrass. Just over a month later, Harry was in the Brunswick studios making the first of about a dozen sides. The vaudeville act was a mock broadcast on stage, but Harry's newfound fame may have been fleeting, since at the time of the 1930 census, he was listed as the proprietor of a lunchroom. He died September 2, 1937, in Palmyra, Illinois, and is buried in the Oak Hill Cemetery. Here are three from Harry M. Snodgrass. The king will play dusting the keys. Thank you. 
Canadian capers. Ex-con Harry Snodgrass at the keyboard with Canadian Capers, written by the trio of Gus Chandler, Harry R. Cohen, and Bert White. Brunswick 3137 was recorded in Chicago on March 12, 1926. Cylinder recordings sometimes used announcers to introduce the tune on the record, since there was no label, as on a flat disc record, but there would be no need for J.M. Witten to introduce Harry Snodgrass's records. I guess that was just some agreement they had, or part of Brunswick's marketing strategy. In any case, J.M. had one of the strangest announcing voices I've ever heard, and I couldn't find out what the J.M. stood for. I know it was important to enunciate in early radio, but he carries it to extreme. Here's his introduction to another of Snodgrass's recordings. Harry M. Snodgrass who gained fame as King of the Ivories while broadcasting from W.O.S. Jefferson City, Missouri, will play the Prisoner's Song. Harry Snodgrass's post-prison career may not have lasted all that long, but he managed to make a record with the enormously popular Green Brothers, George Hamilton Green and Joe Green. 
Before Canadian Capers, we heard the Green Brothers, credited as the Xylo Rimba Orchestra, and Along Miami Shore. Harry Snodgrass played piano on that recording and also got composer credit, although since the co-composer was Harry Warren, I don't know how much he actually contributed. Columbia 918 was recorded in New York on February 3, 1927. We started off our tribute to Harry Snodgrass with the odd but charming Dusting the Keys, written by Edwin B. Claypool, and I'm going to see if I can't put together a segment for him in December. Dusting the Keys, reminiscent of Ziz Confrey's Kitten on the Keys, was recorded February 19, 1925, just over a month after Snodgrass was sprung from prison. Frank Westfall also recorded Dusting the Keys, and you might just be hearing his version next week. I don't know how long he's been waiting, but some time ago, listener Tim in Oakland made a request for It's Gonna Be You. But with no offense to the guy who's looking for a guy who plays alto and baritone and doubles on a clarinet and wears a size 37 suit, was very clear that it be by anyone other than Ozzie Nelson. There are several from which to choose, but here's Chick Bullock.
dog's beautiful lips. Who's gonna kiss those beautiful lips? Looks like it's gonna be me. Somebody's got wonderful eyes. Who's gonna look right into those eyes? Looks like it's gonna be me. Everything seems to point in my direction. Looks as if things are gonna be confectionary. Somebody wants a butterscotch treat. Who's gonna stand that butterscotch treat? Looks like it's gonna be me. Oh, 
for me, I will see that you freeze. It's going to be a cold, cold winter. So get another place to stay. Alberta Hunter, accompanied by the uncredited Duke Ellington on one of his earliest recordings, and it's going to be a cold, cold winter, written by Porter Granger and Joe Trent. That's from a Blue Disc 78, number T1007, recorded in November of 1924. Blue Disc is an extremely rare label, produced by an unknown manufacturer for the Blue Disc Record Company of New York. They announced nine sides, but released only six, all in December of 1924, and then disappeared. Before Alberta Hunter, Fred Hall and his orchestra with the uncredited Arthur Fields singing Looks Like It's Gonna Be Me on July 15, 1930. Fred Hall wrote the music and Lou Klein and Arthur Fields the words. In 1907, the Western Glucose Company formed the American Maize Products Company, which made and sold products made from corn under the brand name Amazo, A-M-A-I-Z-O. One of their products was Amazo Butterscotch Syrup. So what in the world does that have to do with looks like it's going to be me? Well, as part of their marketing and advertising efforts, Amazo contracted with the Consolidated Recording Company of New York to press 7-inch records on the Amazo label. And this Fred Hall Arthur Fields recording was one, matrix number 3712-B on Amazo 5102. The label says presented by the makers of butterscotch syrup and many other famous Amazo products. I don't know if there were other Amazo records made or how they were distributed. I find it fascinating that in 1966, American Maize diversified by buying Swisher & Son Incorporated the privately owned maker of Swisher Sweets and King Edward Cigars. The American Maize Products Company is now owned by a French agro-industrial conglomerate. Sid Pelton and George Olson also recorded it, but we started off the set with Jack Bland and his rhythm makers, and it's gonna be you. The vocalist on that October 5, 1932 recording was Chick Bullock, but you probably already knew that from his voice. That group of musicians included Pee Wee Russell, Red Allen, and Eddie Condon, and made about 26 sides in 1932, depending on the label, variously credited as Billy Banks and his orchestra, Billy Banks' Chicago Rhythm Kings, Eddie Condon and his Rhythm Makers, Billy Banks' Rhythm Makers, the Chicago Rhythm Kings, and just the Rhythm Makers. The group was co-led by Billy Banks and Jack Bland. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records. We're here each and every Sunday evening at 6 on Island Radio, FM 88.7 KISL Avalon, and KISLAvalon.com. This and all our previous shows are also available 24-7, on demand, anytime at all, online at RapidlyRotatingRecords.com. We've been putting up with a lot of racket in the neighborhood the last few nights, And there's going to be a whole lot of racket tonight around 9 with fireworks. So we're going to make our own musical racket, beginning with Sidney Bechet and his New Orleans feet warmers. Thank you. 
racket daddy Mama's watching you I'm like that old wise owl Wise the moves you make I'd give up what I own Daddy for your sake You are my hero In this story Lord knows your heart's tough If you ain't glory Do it lightly honey So your wild oats too Say your racket daddy Mama's watching you
We started that racket set with Sidney Bechet and his New Orleans feet warmers with Lay Your Racket. The vocalist on that September 15, 1932 Bluebird 78, number B-10472, was Billy Maxey, who wrote Lay Your Racket, along with Sidney Bechet. Now, this segment was predicated on the meaning of racket as a noise, but there are other definitions of racket. According to Cab Calloway's Hepster's Dictionary of Harlem Musician Slang from around 1938, to lay your racket means to jive, to sell an idea, or to promote a proposition. Next was a band called the Levy Syncopators, which made two sides for Grey Gull in January of 1930. We heard one of them, the racket. Nothing whatsoever is known about the Levy Syncopators other than the pianist was Claude Austin, who wrote the racket. Racket is normally spelled R-A-C-K-E-T, as in tennis racket or numbers racket. This racket is spelled with two T's, but I rather doubt it refers to the late 16th century double-reed wind instrument, also known as a serverless or sausage bassoon. We finished up with 11.30 Saturday Night from Jeanette 7175, recorded March 24, 1930, written by the trio of Earl Burtnett, Bill Grantham, and Jess Kirkpatrick. So what does that have to do with rackets? Well, it was one of only two sides, recorded by Dick Coy and his racketeers. Pianist and bandleader Dick Coy had worked in vaudeville as an MC, and the band had just finished an engagement at the Arcadia Ballroom before this session, and then went to Tampa, Florida for more than a year to play at a number of Florida Collier Coast hotels. Today is, of course, the 4th of July, so in the time we have left, here's some music to go along with Independence Day, written and played by the March King's own band and conducted by the March King himself, which he didn't do very often on record. (laughs) ¶¶ 
please forgive me for talking over the music, which started with the acoustic version of Sousa's Solid Men to the Front, from Victor 18504, September 6, 1918. And in the background, The Thunderer, actually not Sousa's band, but Philadelphia Rapid Transit Company's cooperative band, directed by A.W. Eckendroth, but conducted by Sousa on September 4, 1926. I'm Glenn Robison, and you've been listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. I wish you a safe, sane, and pleasant 4th of July. Hope you'll click in or tune in again next week, and as always, I thank you for your very kind attention. Thank you.